Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. I just want to get started a little bit this morning with um, an understanding. Every church all over our area, every church all over the world that, that celebrates Jesus Christ is having some form of a resurrection service today. And one of the things that we know is that most people across the whole world know the, the Jesus story. They know the resurrection story. And I think that sometimes people come to church, and not, not they don't, you didn't come to New Life this way, but I'm sure there are people besides you, who, who come to church to see if we're still telling the story the right way. Because that's all they know. And so I want to share something with you today in my sermon called People Know the Story. And, and I want to show you not what happened, but why it happened. So if you'd like to learn something, we just invite you to, to take out a, a pencil, pen, and a piece of paper. If you are a technological junkie and you already have version on your phone, you can turn on your location services and it'll show that you are sitting in new life. And you can click that button right there and, and get the sermon notes for today right on your electronic device that you're still trying to convince us that you're not addicted to. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at a story, Father, that we've heard through the entirety of our church life. Father, when I was a young person, I heard the story. I heard the story and I was so changed by it that I couldn't wait to get out of church. We've heard the story, Father. But now, Lord God, we need some whys. Why is this story so important to our life-changing experience with you? So, Father, today, we're going to take your word by your instruction and talk about why this is important and why it changes our life. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would, please turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 27. Matthew, chapter 27. Now, if you've not been to our church much, you'll notice today that there's a lot of times where I might say something and it'll appear on your screen. We try and put noteworthy quotes up there. And, and I guess now that I hear that come out of my mouth... Um, they're my quotes, so of course they're noteworthy. No, <laughs> it, it sounded a bit difficulty, difficult there, but here, here's how we're going to start our service today. The story of what happened is vitally important. We know that Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived 30 years. We have very little to, about, his, about his early life, but at the age of 30, he entered into a public ministry. And for three years, he walked around what is now Israel and some of those areas there, basically showing the people that followed him what was to come. It's vitally important. But the reason it happened is life-changing. So everybody probably on the planet has heard some form of this story where this Savior, this person died, and that made a difference. It's, it's throughout. You can, you can be in all kinds of places and hear some form of this story. But you might sit in churches for a long time and never really hear the why. So notice if you would please on Matthew chapter 27, it says in verse 50. Did everybody find it? Say amen. amen. 
And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Yielded up his spirit. Here's our first notable why. Are you ready? The resurrection requires a death and affects dead people. Resurrection requires, listen, there is no resurrection power without a death. There's no resurrection power in your life without your death. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Well, I didn't know I had to die to do this. I understand that there's sometimes we sign the dotted line of the petition of Jesus and we didn't realize what it meant. Right? We, we find out these things go, wait a minute. I thought Jesus made my life better. Yes, he does, but he only does it to the degree that you submit his crucifixion of who you are. God loves you enough to send his son to die for you, but he loves you enough not to leave you the way you are. Right? He affects dead people. Notice this in verse 51 and following. It says, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Please understand the difficulty of this. If you know anything about Old Testament uh, stories, this thing's made out of animal skins that have been sewn together and it might have been easier to tear it if you could have started at the bottom. It was in, in, in excess of 20 feet high. And so when that thing started tearing from the top, everybody understood this is not man. Okay? Then you understand what that veil does. The veil was to keep people out of the Holy of Holies, except for the priest who went in there one time a year. He went in there one time a year. Oftentimes, we learn from tradition and from some historical documents that they actually tied a rope along the bottom of, of the priest's uh, uh, ankle, tied it to his leg, and they oftentimes tied little bells and little things that made noise so that if they went in with sin and the noise stopped, we know that God took them out. It was not open to everybody. But at some point here, because of Jesus' death, it tears from the top to the bottom. You cannot put this back together quickly. And he opened the Holy of Holies, literally the place where the blood of Jesus will be poured out upon this throne, upon this mercy seat of God, be poured out for all of us, and the Holy of Holies will be forever opened to us. Look what it says, verse 52, 51 in the middle. It says, it was torn from top to bottom, the earth quaked. Now, I've always said somewhat in jest that I would love to be in an earthquake just once. Right? I would love to feel the earth shake beneath my feet. There's something uncontrollable about that, right? I mean, if it starts moving right now, this, this, this part of the building is built on a concrete slab that's probably six or so inches thick. It doesn't move easy. If this building starts shaking, you know somebody besides me is doing it. Okay? I mean, I can put on a lot of weight and all that kind of stuff, and I can jump up and down up here, but it's not going to move that concrete. God has to do that. God has to do that. When Jesus died, it required that death so that resurrection could happen. And it affected dead people. Look at what happened. The first time, it says in verse 52, and the graves were opened. What a great movie this would make. I mean, imagine, we're just, we're just 
minding our own business on resurrection type Sunday here and Jesus raises from the dead and people all around the graveyard stand on top of their graves. Wouldn't that be fun? I mean, what would you, what would you do? Right? What would you do if, as you're driving back into town today, whichever direction you, you go, okay, and you meet up with people who look just a little bit like they've came out of their casket. And they're walking the streets. Because the Bible says, see, I'm not making this stuff up. The Bible says, graves were open, many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. <laughs> I think that's why God invented cell phones people are going to video this right I mean some of you all that got videos of some of the stupidest stuff you could ever imagine on your phone today I'm always amazed when people take pictures of their food they don't normally send things like that to me and so don't start but but I'm always amazed that you would take time to take a picture of your food it's just amazing to me but I'll guarantee you what's going to happen. When people stand upon their graves, somebody needs to videotape that. Because it's awesome. Notice what else it says. Verse 54. So when the centurion, that's the guy who was guarding the stuff, and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things which happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly this was the Son of God. The people who are in charge of guarding the body of Jesus in the tomb figured it out. Here's my point. They had no um, um, preparation leading up to this. But the disciples of Jesus Christ did. These people looked at what they saw and said, this truly must be the Son of God. And the people who'd been warned about it for three years didn't even recognize Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Romans. Remember, I'm telling you why. You say, well, Pastor, do you have to take so much time telling us why? Your food is not in jeopardy of burning. Okay? It's just not. Look at Romans chapter 8. I may have said 10. There it is. He's got it on the board for you. Notice the 10th verse. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. I told you that the resurrection affects dead people. Before you knew Jesus Christ, the Bible says you were dead in your sin. When you knew Jesus Christ, Jesus said, now consider your body dead to sin. See, it affects dead. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ affects dead people. In the one instance, it brings them back to life. In the other issue, it tells you to ignore that part of you called the flesh that wants to participate in sin. See, don't ever say, I sure wish God would do something about this way I think, about the lust in my eyes, about the way my heart works. He asks you to do that by considering your body dead to sin. It affects you. Notice it says then in the 11th verse, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
He promises us, this is a why, he promises us that he will, through the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit in us, give life so that we can walk differently in this time. Amen? See, the resurrection is so important because it gives evidence of how it impacts dead people. Look at this quote. The resurrection furnishes an open tomb, an empty tomb. And the tomb's not open so Jesus can get out, but so that you can get in. See, Jesus didn't need help. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28, if you'll just put that up for us, please, first and second verse. I think it's the second verse that's really got the, the, the thing in it. It says that the angel came and rolled away from the stone. Here it is. Behold, there was a great earthquake. Again, there's the earthquake thing. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven. He came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Now, I don't know why this tickles me, but the, the detail here is kind of amazing. You know, we always think, oh, yeah, well, the angel came and rolled that back. But why? Why did he roll it back? So Jesus could get out? Because, you see, after he rolled it back, people went in there and Jesus was already gone. Jesus was already gone. It's empty. It's empty. He gives us access to an empty tomb so that we can go into Jesus' death. In fact, some traditions tell us that when they went in and looked, they saw the grave clothes as one place, and, and then they saw the, the face cloth. And there's a tradition out there, and I don't know how accurate it is, but, but it's this way in, in, in fancy restaurants. If you'll wad your face cloth up, okay, for all you kids, that's the napkin they gave you that you never use, that you always use your sleeves for. Okay? The napkin they gave you, if you will fold it up and set it beside your plate and get up and go to the bathroom, the servers will know that you're coming back. If you wad it up, put it on your plate, the servers know you're not coming back. Now that's just a speculative tradition, but Jesus' face cloth was folded. And it may very well suggest to us that he's coming back. Isn't that cool? See, there's a why to all of this. Most of us are waiting for Jesus to come back so he can fix all the problems we see and all the difficulties we see. And in some cases, we want Jesus to come back to punish the people that we don't like. But he's not doing any of those things. Notice it says, there was a great earthquake and then the angel rolled the stone. Now, in most cases, these tombs were caves or little dugouts, and they normally hollowed out a spot where they could roll the stone into place, and so then it was very difficult to get out. And so the angel rolled it out and then sat on it, inviting people to come in. It's just fascinating to me. Well, notice, if you would, please, in Romans chapter 6, notice the fifth verse. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. The why of Jesus' death is to give an availability to us of the power of his resurrection. See, we don't tell the story so you can go, wow, Jesus is just so cool and he had angels at his disposal and he did all these neat things. No, the angel opened the tomb so you could go in. He opened the tomb so that you could experience death through Jesus Christ. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, that it's appointed unto a man to die once. Then comes the judgment. There are a lot of Christians today who don't understand this about the power of the resurrection. 
But when you die in Jesus Christ, Jesus takes your judgment. You'll never die again. Besides, it looks like to me that according to what we looked at in our first point, you're already dead. He said, consider yourself dead to sin. There's a great why in that. Notice in Luke chapter 24, the companion story to this, where we're going to find that resurrection moves us from the place of death to the place of living. Notice in Luke chapter 24, please. Luke chapter 24. I love Luke's writings because tradition tells us he was a physician. So he was educated. And, and I, I think that we get some detail from him that we might not have, have, have seen from any of the other eyewitnesses to what happened to Jesus. Notice in verse number 5. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they, the angels, said to him, Why do you seek the living among the dead? The point was that when the people came to the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, the angel said, You're looking in the wrong spot. So resurrection then moves you from a position of being dead or where the death is. It moves you to where the living is. All of the living that we do on this earth in this time is provided to us through the power of the resurrected Son of God. You say, no, pastor, I'm doing that myself. That's exactly why you're riding the roller coaster of human experience, up and down and crashing around. Why? Jesus didn't necessarily design you for that. He says, listen, I'm going to take you from the dead stuff and move you into where the living is. That's what resurrection power does. That's what resurrection power does. See, they were afraid. You know, they didn't really believe that Jesus was going to raise from the dead. In fact, Thomas, one of my favorites, he actually said to, after this time, and they're all talking together, and Thomas said and, 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 and to his friends, he said, I most certainly will not believe unless I can put my hands in the nail prints on his hand thrust my hand into the side. I will not, no way, never ever believe that Jesus raised from the dead. When Jesus found out about that or Jesus came into the room when, he was, when they were all together, he said to Thomas, put your fingers right here. Put your finger right here. Put your, thrust your hand into my side. And then he said to Thomas, you know, you had to see to believe, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. See, that's the living that I'm talking about here. We have an invisible God who's helping us through an invisible spirit as we celebrate the reception of an individual who is invisible and our Savior. Can you believe? Because you don't get to see. That's what God says to us. Notice, if you would, please, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians, chapter 1. Now, you know the separation, right, within your New Testament. The first four books of the Bible talk about the life of Jesus. First four books of the New Testament. 27 books of the New Testament, the first four. The final 23 talk about the church's relationship to what happened in the first four. It shows us how to live in what Jesus himself accomplished for us. So notice in Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible says in verse... Uh, maybe 17 or so. 
It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. What's he asking for through his prayer? What's he asking for the Father to do? He's asking for us to be able to see things that don't exist in the natural world. Give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That you may have a revelation in this knowledge of who Jesus is. That the eyes of your understanding may be opened or enlightened. That you may know. He's using all these interesting sight-related, intimacy-related words to get you to the place where you see what God himself provided for you through Jesus and his resurrection. Now, this is not only Resurrection Sunday, but this is Ascension Sunday. And by the way, there's a difference. When Jesus ascended to the Father, he had to be changed in his body. People who are just raised from the dead are raised in their body. But the, the resurrection power changes your identity. It changes how heaven sees you. Now, this is one of the most important whys. Most of us live as if we belong in some sort of 12-step program. Hello, my name is Glenn, and I believe in Jesus except when I can't see what he's doing. And I need these 12 steps to help me get my hand around this. But what God does through the power of resurrection is he changed your identity. And, it said, and, and you really, you should identify yourself this way rather than, well, hello, my name is Glenn. I'm a, I'm a recovering control freak. Okay? Rather, we should be, hello, my name is Glenn. I'm a son of God. It changes your identity. It changes how heaven sees you. You do not have to agree with this. You don't have to agree with how, how heaven sees you. But the resurrection power of God through receiving Jesus Christ changes how heaven sees you. See, so many of us have an identity that's attached to what we do in the world. Hello, my name is Glenn. I'm a pastor. You cannot believe the number of people who ask me what I do and then don't have a second question. What do you do? You know, you're sitting in an airport. What do you do? And I stick my hand out and shake it. You know, my name is, I'm a pastor. Oh, they say. <laughs> they don't know what to do with me. I, you listen, I'm from this town, for heaven's sakes, from Ray. And, and, you know, I wasn't voted most likely to become a pastor in my high school class. People to this day still look at me and they see me as a 17-year-old graduate from high school well I just want you to understand something I'm not that person anymore why because the resurrection power of Jesus changed my identity I've been a pastor in full-time ministry longer than many of you have been alive I've been changed identity wise it is second nature to me or first nature to me I think that way when I see somebody struggling in public, I don't say, gee, I hope they make it. I think, you know, they need Jesus. I need to pray for them. And I'll stop right then and there. By the way, if you want to get entertained in your life and see God move, just offer to pray for people publicly. It's awesome. They don't want to be embarrassed, but they can't say no. Because, see, they know when you offer to pray for them, even though they may not have any education, they know you're going to ask somebody something on their behalf. 
and they want that. They want you to talk to God about them. And so you'll take a hold of their hand. Well, can I pray for you? We were in a restaurant one time and I noticed this little gal that was waiting on us had a, had a thing hanging from her belt. And I have a son who has, who has type 1 diabetes. And he wears a, an insulin pump. And when I saw her little thin wire, I knew it wasn't a hearing aid. It was what judges her sugar moment by moment. And her little pump goes off and says, you need to have some insulin right now before you pass out. See, I've lived with that with my son. When I saw that, I just reached up and grabbed her hand. I said, I noticed you're a diabetic. Would you like me to pray with you? Now, I was sitting with another pastor and his wife and my wife, and, and I think the woman actually was lucky that I was sitting on the outside and not Tracy. Okay? Because Tracy has never met a prayer she didn't want to say. She's a praying woman. And so we're praying for that. She wanted, our identity is changed when we receive Jesus Christ. Hello, my name is Glenn. I'm a son of God. Right? That, see, why is that important? Because you're living your life as if your identity is what you've been doing. Well, why would God love me? Can you imagine what I've done? Um, God limited himself in looking at you through the blood of Jesus. He is literally the inventor of the rose-colored glasses. He looks at you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But we look at each other as if what they did, what you do, separates you from who you belong to. And it doesn't. Why is that important, Pastor? Are you kidding me? Why would you want to be known by what you did? Don't raise your hand. But do all of you have some stuff that you just assumed the rest of us didn't know about? Sometime in your life you did something that you see today, you wished it would have worked out better because it, back then it was really a mess and a bad deal. And some of you got some really great stuff that you've done. But that's not who you are. Because the resurrection power of God changed your identity. Now you can keep identifying yourself and identifying yourself as what you're not. You know, what you did. But that isn't what God said. He wants to give you this revelation. Notice he says, I want your understanding to be enlightened. He literally wants to shine the reflective glory of God on who you are. That's what that enlightening means. I want to walk in that. Amen. Notice it says in the 18th verse, eyes being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. I want to tell you something right now. When you step into that, the identity of God produces the purpose of God. Each and every one of you through Jesus Christ has something to do for him. And if you're still breathing, you're still valuable. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what you've gone through. I don't care what you've done. We're not going to know you by the flesh. We're going to know you by your identity in Jesus Christ. Amen? See, it changes you. It changes you. Why is resurrection important? Because you no longer have to live in all the junk. You step into the empty tomb. You step into the death of Jesus Christ. You come out a new living creature. 2 Corinthians says, you're no longer the old guy. It's been passed away. You're the new guy. Hello, my name is Glenn. I might look old, but I'm fresh today. 
Why? Because Jesus is at work in me every single day. He's renewing me on the inside even when my outside has fallen down. See, that's what the Bible says. But we, don't, we just think, well, you know, now if we'll believe that strong enough, then it'll be true in our life. No, Jesus did the believing for you. He went to the cross with a smile on his face. Hebrews says he endured the cross because he saw the joy that was coming. I'm going, well, how do you do that? What's the hope of his calling? What are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance? I've never really had any rich relatives. And maybe you have. And you fought that, that, that argument, right, in your brain. Now, don't raise your hand, but if you had somebody that was like, like super rich and, and they got like one foot in the grave already, are you going to stand there and lie, sit there and lie to me that you're not thinking about, hey, when Uncle Joe passes away, the money's coming to me, hallelujah. You say, oh, I don't think that way. Well, congratulations, but the rest of us do. Right? Because we're sure there's an inheritance. We're sure there's an inheritance. My sons have said to me, as they've processed now in, in, in their age, and they said, Dad, we have a hope. I said, what's your hope? He says, we hope you bounce your last check before you die. They're not looking for an inheritance from us, from me. I hope to leave them something, but really, surprise on them, I'm thinking about leaving it to their children. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Got one in the front row going, yes! <laughs> well, you can say that, you know, you can laugh about that, but it says we'll leave an inheritance to our children's children. That's kind of biblical. Amen. See, that's the God kind of thing. Well, what did he say? He says, listen, I want you to understand the glory of the riches of his inheritance in the saints. I'm telling you what, in the legal paperwork in heaven, God has passed out a will and testament called the Bible. And he says, here's what you get. I know some of you are going, well, that seems kind of bad that we would. No, listen, I would never argue with Uncle Joe who wanted to leave me a suitcase full of money. Some of you might. Some of you heard me tell these stories, but I regularly hope to find money alongside the road. I was driving the other day, and I saw what looked like an envelope that was folded in half, and I thought, I bet that envelope has money in it. In our natural mind, we're always looking for something, and we read this book, and we see the glory, the riches of his inheritance, and we go, oh yeah, well, that's all that, that's all that spiritual stuff. And we, we kind of make a face going like, well, I don't really want that. No, listen to me. The why of Jesus' resurrection is to show you the riches of inheritance. He literally gave you a book full of the inheritance principles that he gave to you through his death. Man, I'll tell you, if you just study the Bible a little bit, you'll realize that you live as a position as the Son of God lived. He left all his stuff to you. Don't have time to teach that to you. Glory of inheritance in the saints. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? I love this. Most of us are hoping for just enough to get us through. 
But he offers us the exceeding greatness of his power. I don't know how much power it takes to raise somebody from the dead. Okay? What God did through Jesus Christ for us is an expression of this picture of exceeding greatness. No other religion on the planet has a living Messiah. They're all still dead. In fact, they celebrate the grave sites of these dead people they worship. You can still go and find, you know, the, the, the Dalai Lama and where they buried the last one and they just gave somebody else his name. And you can go find where Confucius and Buddha and, and Mohammed and you can find them all. But Jesus' tomb is still empty. His tomb is still empty. He is a living guy. And the final thing is found in Luke chapter 4. And I love this one, but you may not. But I love this one. Because here's where we live. Notice in Luke chapter 24. Can you put that up for me so I don't have to turn in my Bible, please? Notice Luke chapter 24. Look at verse 46 and following. Thank you, Jeremy. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to raise from the dead on the third day. That's what we've been talking about. Next verse, please. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That's happened to a large degree. Next verse, please. And you are witnesses of these things. Yes, we are. I really appreciate that. Now look at verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father unto you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Let me tell you something about the power of the resurrection. It gives you the ability to wait. Resurrection empowers waiting because God's power cannot be stopped. See, so much of what our life is, is it's not happening quick enough. So much of what we go through is, I don't like going through these things. I hate waiting. I hate waiting. Oh, help me, Jesus. In my flesh, I can get such an attitude, and I know none of you have ever done this, but <clears throat> I'm tempted sometimes just to leave whatever I want to buy and walk out because I'm so tired of standing in line. And then my attitude gets me and I see the incompetence, right? How many of you know when you want something, you can see the incompetence of the person who's supposed to be giving it to you? Right? You look and you go, dear God, where'd they find this person? And you know, you're kind of, you're doing it quietly so that God doesn't notice. But, but you know, you <laughs> but you're kind of pitching an attitude. You have no power in your waiting because you're trusting. Are you ready? Because you're trusting in human power to get something done for you. You're waiting on a human and a human's power can always be stopped. And that's why we're impatient. But the resurrection power of God empowers waiting. If you know through inheritance what you're supposed to be looking for, I'm willing to wait for it. I'm willing to wait for it. I know that God intends put in motion, put his power behind the things that he's put on my heart to pray and believe him for. I know he's done it. So now I'm empowered to wait. And it's, there's a level of excitement. I'm just going, oh my, this is great. I have such an excitement about what you all as church people are going to do in the area that you live. You're going to have an impact in your neighborhood. You come to church and you hear about that and you don't think anything about it and you get home and you find out that your neighbor needs prayer. 
You know, you find out, you just take your extra over there. You know, it might happen today. If, if you have a big Easter dinner today and you have somebody that kind of lives in your neighborhood that's kind of, kind of lonely looking or however you see that, you might take them some stuff. And when you get over to their house to give them your leftovers, right? Not, not a lot, just your leftovers. You say, man, we had so much of this. And, you know, and, and, and the Spirit of God will speak to you through His power in you about what they need. And all of a sudden, you'll find yourself praying for your neighbor. So don't take them your leftovers unless you want to pray for them. Right? Why? Because what lives in us? A changed identity. Who we are is empowered by who we serve. Amen? Amen. All right, so the whys are pretty important. I want you to remember the story, but I want you to see it every turn. When the, when, the, when the scripture, you come across those scriptures that talk about that, those things were provided by the power of resurrection. It changed our world. It changed us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come on, music team. Come up and join us, please. Stand with me, would you, would you please? Praise the Lord. Again, thank you all so very much for being here today. I know that there are plenty of things you can do on Resurrection Sunday. And that's why we're going to let you go. When we're done, we're done. We're going to let you go. Amen. Father, we thank you today that inside your word we find that our eyes are enlightened, that we see the hope of our calling, that we understand the riches and glory in our inheritance. We see the exceeding greatness of your power towards us who believe. All we thank you for those things today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live. And you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.